Myself. Go yes. ahead. How do I talking. sound? Ooh, you sound amazing. I sound good. And How's the air conditioner? Is it too crazy? I can't hear the air conditioner at all. Fabulous. Yep. All right, great. Perfect. Yep. Because these mics are truly the best things this that I've ever, ever uh, invested in, and they're not expensive mics. So we love to see know. it. Am I allowed to curse? Absolutely. Please curse as much as you want. Thank God. Um. So, I mean, we may as well just get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Yeah, But the Podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Gabor, and I guess today we're going to be um, using middle initials, too. So, I am Vivian M. Gabor. No <laughs> one knows my middle name, <laughs> yeah. but I like to pull it out every now and then. Um, but I am... Uh, this episode is going to be insane, and y'all are going to probably get some very interesting information about me as well as our guest. Um, my guest today is the incomparable Eric W. Schleck. Hey, y'all. Um, an ancient, decrepit, old So friend. old. <laughs> old woman. I'm an um, old lady. And I don't think you were ever my student, but we definitely were colleagues. Yeah, we were um, colleagues back and in the now day. And now a multi-hyphenate actress of yes. the stage and possibly screen eventually. Yeah, uh, we support the writers and, uh, and SAG. Absolutely. But anyway, welcome. <laughs> what a treat. I'm so happy to be here. It's been so, it's so good to see you. It's been it's so good to way see too you. long. We, we were trying to figure out before we started recording how long it's been since we've seen each other. It's been almost a decade, I think. I think it's been over a At decade. At least in person. I've, I'm because I left. Oh, God. I left Seattle in 2018, but I hadn't done any theater things where you were doing theater things for a few years. So yeah. we probably hadn't seen each other since like 2016. Yeah. At the, so, at the latest. Okay. So I guess it's like seven years. Yeah. Cause I That's left crazy. Seattle in 2016. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Seattle, um, mm-hmm. which is how we know each other. We were working together um, at an educational company called Ballyhoo Theater. Shout out to Ballyhoo yeah. Theater. Hello, Ballyhoo um, in Edmonds. In Edmonds, Washington. Um, the fancy north of part Seattle. of Seattle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's how we met um, because my mentor, still to this day, and the artistic director of Ballyhoo, Shalea Corey. Hey, Mama Shalea, I love you. Um, <laughs> hey, Shalea. I was creating a fundraiser for them, and she was like, You have to meet this lady um <laughs> i think she'd be perfect for what we're trying to do here um and i create like a miscast fundraiser every year for uh, as their fundraiser um and she was like you have to meet this girl i think she's gonna be perfect and she has to sing meadowlark and next thing i know it's been almost 10 years yep and you that like you like i remember being asked to do it i was like that'll be a fun like side project to do girl now and then <laughs> and then i got the official email and i was singing like five songs yeah. i was like featured, featured oh my actress. god oh my god what am i gonna do i'm a <laughs> terrible memorizer what's gonna happen here and i think we ended up cutting one of my songs i think one of them yeah we shortened it a little bit it was so long it they've gotten so shorter long. in the years since um but 
And we've since done it online. Like during the pandemic, we did yes. one online. Um, we did but all yeah, stuff. and I still sing Metal Arc to this day. And should. It's so beautiful. Literally almost every week at my brunch. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Look, it's a crowd pleaser. It's such a Everybody good song. loves Metal Arc. And it's from a show that literally no one knows. No, everybody just knows that song. Yeah. I don't even know who wrote it. No, that was that wasn't Sondheim. It no, was, I think it was Schwartz, right? The Baker's was Wife. It Schwartz? I think yes. it's Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. So I weird. need to look up the show at some point. I know. It's kind of bizarre. <laughs> it like it, it it feels like um it's a little bit of passion. It's a little bit of evening primrose. Okay. It's a little bit of anyone can whistle. It's kind of that era of just kind of bizarre. <sighs> I have always musicals. wanted to do evening primrose. No. Has it ever been done on stage? I, I think there's just the TV version. I know there's the like the TV movie, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ever been done on stage. If it's y'all don't know what we're fabulous. talking about, it's one of Sondheim's like least known shows. Yeah. It, ha- I, it only has like five songs in it. It's not, yeah, like it's five not or six a songs. full musical. It's just like a movie that has some songs in it. It kind of is like an extension of a Twilight Zone episode. There was yeah, a Twilight absolutely. Zone episode that was kind of the same vibe. And it's these mannequins basically in mm-hmm. a department store who come to life at night yep. and think that they're people. Yeah. And but there's this beautiful song that everybody sings called it "Take would be Me to such, the World." Such a great, I would such buy a great it. stage show. Yeah, do it like immersive, like stick it in like Ooh. a small space. Yeah. The audience like sits <gasps> around, do it in the round. Oh yeah, I'm like, telling you, full full black box theater experience. Yeah, but like, um, oh shoot, what was the method we did? I did the show in college called Museum, where like half the audience was on stage, half the audience was off stage, and then it was like museum set up in the middle of oh, it. Cool. And the whole show is just like these actors who are playing characters interacting with the art obsessed. Um, so I feel like that's how it would have to be yeah, done or be do great. it like in like an abandoned old, like department store. Department store. Oh my God. Brilliant. I love that. Let's Wait, Sondheim estate. Um, <laughs> give us a call. I know you're busy trying to sell the house right now, but when you're done with that, I know you're busy trying to get every single one of his shows on Broadway all at the same yeah, time. Right now. And the new one <laughs> finally just like get, Andrew Lloyd Webber off of Broadway so that all of Sondheim can come onto Broadway. Look, look, the Webber Sondheim battle was just a <laughs> fabulous, fabulous time for all of us. I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber was paying my bills for the last year or so. It's very true. Um, we we love Andrew Lloyd Webber in this house too. Um, I just want to know how long it's going to be until we get the Starlight Express revival on Broadway. I have been saying, <laughs> I just finished, um, I was on the second national tour of Jesus Yes, Christ you Superstar. were, which is... By the way, congratulations. Thank you so much. It was such a treat. Um, That's a I big deal. It, it was like, amazing. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. It it meant the world to me, and I had such an amazing experience. It's the West End version of the show, so it's just this brilliant Olivier Award-winning version. I got to play King Herod, and I was a dancer in it, and for Herod, I had this like big gold cape that went like 30 mm-hmm. feet back, and um, there was this epic reveal a la Brooklyn Heights that year that she wore the reveal, reveal, reveal coat. Yes. It was like the same silhouette. <laughs> And um, it was a crazy number. Um, it was a great show. It's the most physically demanding thing I've ever been I was been re-listening asked to, do. to it on the way over here, and I had forgotten just how quintessentially 1970 that show is. No, exactly. And its score, like just the rhythms used, the like orchestration, everything is just so 70s. And I was kind of reveling in it no it holds up and and (laughs) so we were marketed as like the 50th anniversary tour Mm -hmm. so half of our crowd were people who like grew up with 
that album with that brown vinyl album wow, yeah people were obsessed i mean people are like bopping along we're doing what's the buzz and people are like singing it was crazy and then we had like people who were bringing their families and people who had never seen superstar mm-hmm. before this particular version uses a lot of like contemporary aesthetics contemporary ideologies yeah um it's not really about jesus it's really about the mob mentality and how we treat celebrity how we treat people that we're obsessed with Mm-hmm. Um, we used the motif of like, um, like a, a traveling concert, like Coachella okay, music festival yeah. kind of vibe. And all the principles were their Their aesthetics were based on popular acts of like the seventies and eighties. Love that. So I was Elton John with a little bit of Madonna, of course. Um, <laughs> but we had like Steven Tyler, we had a boy band, mm. we had, um, the Carpenters, um, we had a, a, a trio kind of like the Supremes. Um, so the references were really clear and really fun. Mm -hmm. And our show was all about how we as society go from being fans of somebody to becoming fanatics of somebody to then of course becoming killers. So we did to Michael Jackson. It's what we did Mm -hmm. to Whitney Houston. It's what we did to Justin Bieber. It's kind Mm -hmm. of what we're doing to Beyonce. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that it really held the mirror up to people about how we consume music, especially because so many people were obsessed with this music separate yeah. from its theatrical life. Yeah, because it started as a conceptual album. Yeah. Um, that's why I learned about it in grad school. That was actually my first introduction to it because I grew up in a very Christian home. Mm-hmm. So my parents were like, we don't listen to Godspell. We don't listen to Jesus Christ Superstar. We all these like Bible based musicals, they're terrible because they're not actually, they're just like making fun of the Bible. So we they're not making fun, they I'm are like, loosely no. inspired by the book. Okay, <laughs> just like any any state book to Literally. stage, book to movie adaptation. Literally, it is, it is inspired by the book, it's a book of stories. <laughs> um, but in grad school, we were introduced to it because it was one of the first like concept albums that was taken onto stage. And one of the first concept albums, I think in general, yeah, of that kind um, of Jesus system. Christ superstar and Tommy, I think are the two that kind of are pointed to as like the ones that started as albums that then were taken to stage. Yeah. Um, but that's when I was introduced to it. And I've like, if I had the voice for it, I would be Judas in a heartbeat because he has the best songs. Oh yeah. And I, I love, I love a role that gets to, um, off themselves i played javert you know it's, yes period it's always the best kind of a song when you get to just like get to the end and you're just like i'm done bye yeah truly it's so fun except in superstar poor <laughs> judas has to like go drink some water and come out and sing the title song right after literally <laughs> i mean we had the brilliant lv ellis playing judas in our production and i i do not know how that man did that eight times a week traveling the country <laughs> That man, he is just incredible. Like I don't know how any of you do that. No, I don't. Like either. literally, I sing brunch and I'm like, I'm good on singing for the next Everything week. Hurts. I can't do this. Everything <laughs> hurts. Everything hurts. Everything's terrible. I can't feel my body, but um, I had so much fun. <laughs> but we truly, I laugh because that you bring up Starlight Express because I'm obsessed with Starlight Express. I actually, it's one of my favorite Weber shows. Interesting. It's so crazy. It's insane. I like it way more than Cats. It's the same show, but I like it more How than dare Cats. You. I know. How Let dare me you. live. <laughs> Let me live. I think it also depends on like when you're introduced to Andrew Lloyd Webber shows. Yeah, I'll give you because that. Because he's very much, I feel like he hmm, how do i put this he's a great introduction to musical theater just like mozart is a great introduction to opera that's like, a great comparison like they yeah, have okay. they both have songs that are easy easy uh to remember yeah and they stick in your ear really well so you leave the theater humming um and they both have relatively easily accessible storylines in their shows um 
of course, they mm, there are shows like Starlight Express where you leave going, what the fuck happened? Going, what on earth? <laughs> Why were those people on roller skates? What is going um, on? But I, I, I like to liken them because... You you start with Andrew Lloyd Webber and then you move forward from there. Yeah, that's a I I buy that just like, because he's so yeah. accessible, so accessible. And I don't say that in a bad way at all. No, not at all. Like it really, it's beautiful I still music. Love Phantom, Phantom will forever be a, a we love place Phantom. in my heart. I know. Rest in peace, Phantom on Broadway. I know, and I never saw it. You never saw um, it on Broadway? No, I so I was supposed to in two thousand three on my first trip to New York. Uh, my family had tickets to see it, and that evening before the show could happen at all before the actors were even called to stage the east coast blackout happened oh my gosh wow <laughs> so we did not get to see a show um yeah. and i was devastated I because it. my mom had campaigned so hard for us to see the producers and wow, i had to literally wow. like scream and like throw a tantrum on the street like on 41st and broadway yep. to get my parents to be like okay, no, I guess we'll go see Phantom because otherwise he won't shut up. I love it. Um, and then we didn't get to see any. Damn. It was insane. Um, but, you know, I look forward to seeing future productions. Of I mean, it. it's inevitably coming back. Like, Absolutely. We, it's coming back. I'm sure that your guests didn't know that we were going to talk about um, the politics of musical theater for the next hey, hour. But I don't care. Let's look, do it. I love it. It's you got, absolutely you have coming me back. Here, I mean, so. they had to. They had to get rid of the old production. It's been on Broadway for way too long. It was there for what, like 35 years? <sighs> so many years. Yeah. So many years. Yeah. Um, and w it's been running in the West End with a new, new set, yes. new costumes, new score, new everything. And it's clear they wanted to bring that one over. Yeah, it's clear they want to they bring that one. I think that set was on the U.S. tour that happened. There was like an anniversary mm -hmm. tour that happened mm -hmm. a couple years ago before the pandemic. And um, they used that new set, new staging. It was like a whole, mm -hmm. whole press tour about it. But the West End version is, is great. Um, I think it's in the His Majesty's Theater. Yes. Um, they just had to change the name. So devastated. Wait, why? From Her Majesty's Theater. Oh, to His Majesty. Yes, yeah. to His Majesty's. <laughs> well, because I was in London last summer. Oh, my God. When it all went down. It was crazy. It was crazy. Can we just say, I, uh, the complete sidetrack, I find it so ironic that the Queen died in Scotland. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Because, look, like, she, she was not a perfect woman. By any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, you know, she was a staple of the the contemporary image of the British monarchy for mm -hmm. decades upon decades. I yep. mean, generations of families across the world have known her to be the face. Yep. And I, I think it's interesting. I she she ruled for 60, 70 years. Something like that. Like, yeah. That's that's uh that's that's a commitment. That's a commitment. But <laughs> I was in London. I don't think I could do anything that long. Oh god, no. <laughs> but I was in London. I I had this incredible opportunity to be on the West End, mm -hmm. which was just insane. In Blippy. In Blippy the musical. Um which I was amazing. I was one of the stage Blippies. Um Blippy was starting to blow up and I had an opportunity to play him on stage and uh it's now become this whole bigger brand than I ever mm -hmm. could have imagined. And so I got to be a part of the company that did it on the West End in London. And she was not doing well, the Queen, while we were there. And truly, I left London, I think, the day before she passed, maybe two. Oh, wow. And 
I was supposed to leave a little sooner, but we had like a flight delay and um, we wanted to hang out more. And mm-hmm. I mean, London's just oh, it's the most magical city in amazing. the world. I love it so much. Truly I can't wait amazing. to go back. And uh, yeah, so it, literally yeah. the plane landed in the States and I think it was the next day. Wow. They're like, the queen, she's gone. And I was like, can you imagine if we had still been there, we would have been stuck yeah. for a week oh, at yeah. least. Oh, yeah. It was and crazy. I, People I, waited in line for days. My favorite part of the whole thing, though, was the fact that it was just like, um, the queen isn't feeling well. And then we didn't, it wasn't announced that the queen had died, but then all of a sudden the whole family was ordered to come to Scotland. Yeah. Including Harry. And including everyone Harry. was just like, uh. <laughs> well, it's that picture of her with, um, I think whoever was the prime minister at the time, where her hand is like necrotically black. Like, <laughs> like her fingers look like she has frostbite. I was like, Elizabeth is not doing well. <laughs> something, no. is, something is shifting here. Yeah. But um, the show was nominated for an Olivier Award. That's incredible. Which was the craziest 48 hours of my life. 36 hours, so I should say. two Olivier Award nominated shows that you've been in. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. two. Superstar and Blippi. I didn't do yeah. Superstar on the West End, I wish, but... I feel um, like the West End gets to do so many more cool things than Broadway. Oh, in terms of 100%. like staging and stuff. Well, their shows are at least, if not fully, partially funded with yeah. government support. So in the States, the uh, the what I would call like commercial theater um, is pretty much funded through donors and um, like private investors. Mm-hmm. So there's a monetary stake that's involved yeah. in a way that isn't in London. So here you're we're relying, especially right now, the trend on Broadway is we're relying a lot on brands. Mm-hmm. We're relying a lot on um, titles that are recognizable. We're relying on music that people know. There's not a lot of original and scores. celebrities that people know. Celebrities. Whereas in London, on the West End, a lot of those shows, they're able to create work that's a little more groundbreaking, a mm-hmm. little more avant-garde, um, a little more creative, just because they're, the monetary stake is different. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't make all the money back, well, it's okay. And if you do make the money ma- back, you have more to use for whatever you want to do next yeah there's just amazing and all the i mean some of the greatest shows that have been over here as of recent six. have come from london six yeah um the new back to the future is yep. fantastic the cabaret revival's coming i got to see I that was, while i was there i heard oh my god it's magical it just I is so amazing i'm still mad that everybody's talking about jamie is not devastated currently coming to broadway and devastated. I'm just like why I think I think it was a mistake to go for a movie first. Yeah, because I kind of the, felt then the movie tanked because no one in America knew it. Yeah, and then because it tanked, they were like, "Well, now we're not going to bring it to Broadway." It's like, so well, sad. if you'd done it the other direction, you would have had an audience for it. And it's still and the very popular incredible. there. The movie's great. Truly, one of the greatest. It it. I think it's going to become a cult classic. I, I definitely so like when I am in the mood to like rock and watch. I can't talk when I'm in the mood to like watch Rocky Horror or like those movies. To like, Wong Fu. To Wong Fu. And then Jamie is Jamie. now in that list. Yeah. Hedwig, the old Hedwig movie. Um, what a treat. Because wh- uh, what's his name who plays who plays the older queen? Um, Richard. Richard Grant. Richard Grant. Richard Grant is such an amazing actor. Yeah. And I love that he's getting to play all of these older gay roles because that's not a, an archetype that we've had for a long time. So yeah. he's kind of like been able to create that. Um, like he was in um, Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy, which oh, I also think no one saw. I didn't see that. Which is so, it's a, an incredible okay, movie. Okay, the list. 
incredible movie about this woman who is like forging uh, letters and things from long dead celebrities um, and her like gay best friend, but they're both in their like fifties and sixties. Iconic. It's so good. I and it's that. based on a true story. What a treat. How cool. Yeah, it's such a great movie. Um, but yeah, speaking of random uh, actors and things and Andrew Lloyd Webber, I recently realized, so I had, I had no experience with Starlight Express. Oh, back to Starlight Express. I'm yes. obsessed with Starlight Express. And, Go listen to it. Uh, recently, like, was scrolling through TikTok and someone had posted a video from it. Realized that two of the most, the campiest, most amazing actors on Broadway ever were in the original cast. Jane Krakowski. Jane Krakowski. Yes. And Andrea McArdle. Yes. Like, yes. Jane. I'm sorry. Oh my god. What? Yes. Yes. On she was the, the pink one in uh I think she was the dining car. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. And I mean Andrea too. Just it Oh yeah. Starlight Express is so iconic. It there's a production of it that's been sat down in Germany for a long time. Interesting. Um they built a theater especially for it that's basically like a huge skate park. Oh, that's and the so audience cool. stands all over it and they like fly around. It is so impressive and um, it's just amazing. Um, there's been a couple American dancers who have gone and done it. Um, that's awesome. I think it might be closing soon, which is kind of devastating, no. but you're on your way to Europe. So <laughs> sure if it's still open when and you I'll get there, go to Germany and see. To Germany. Yeah. Like see if you can go because it really is kind of, it's so bizarre and it's so exciting. I mean, that title song is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's something so endearing and interesting about Starlight Express to me. I just love a, I love a musical that knows what it is and mm-hmm. demands that we ask it questions. Yep. Like, I and love that. And that doesn't answer them. And doesn't answer them. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. Like, in so many ways, Cats actually does answer all of our questions. Yeah, once you dig into it long enough, yeah. you find the answers. And like, this is a pageant and they're going to kill one of these cats. <laughs> like, that's what's happening here. What are these cats? The heavy side layer? I'm sorry. The heavy side They're layer? They're absolutely competing to They're see who dies. They're absolutely competing to see who dies. It's basically it's the wonderful. same plot as The Grey House yeah, on Broadway so right now. I need to see that Yeah, so you've got bad. like seven days. They just announced it's closing early. Oh, I'm devastated. I've been trying... I've been like entering every day to get... Um, Oh, like the lottery? The lottery, yeah. but it's not going to happen, and I'm just going to have to suck it up and pay like 100 bucks to see it. I mean, like, go in the morning one day. I went in the morning, and I got a rush. Rush tickets? Um, and it was so easy. Yeah. I might have to do that. Yeah, Because I that. really want to see it. Cause I the Lyceum like is huge. The idea of a thriller with jump scares on stage is mind-boggling. Again, London, like, the originator of that. I got to see the woman in black over there, mm. and it was the same version that had been running for, like, 30 years there. Yeah. And it's brilliant how how effective some simple effects are. I mean, truly, it's like a yeah. scrim and a fish line, fishing line, and we were screaming. It was amazing. I mean, that's how I felt about most of Cursed Child, because I got yeah, to see Cursed Child. There Cursed were definitely Child. some effects that I was like, okay, this is a little obvious. Like, when the back of the stage goes black and they have, like, actors in black, like, turning them upside down. I'm oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Ha, ha, fun. Um, but then the time turner effect. I don't know how they do it. It's I mean, all I know lighting. It's, it's projection and lighting, it's but lighting. it is so mind-boggling. It is 
so cool. Yeah. Like the first time it happened, I almost screamed because I yeah. was like, the theater is falling down. The, the theater <laughs> is falling down. The lyric theater is falling down. <laughs> what is happening? I loved, I actually like, I really enjoyed Cursed Child. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I mean, the story was a little eh, but the. Yeah, the it is what it is. Special effects are incredible. And there's great performers in it. And I mean, mm-hmm. the thing I just loved about Cursed Child when I saw it is, you know, Madame Rowling, the turf herself. Um, she, you know, she created this thing mm-hmm. that overtook pop culture 20 yep. years ago. And unfortunately, you know, she has some unsightly views on humanity yeah. and, and people and trans women, especially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is, you know, really disappointing, uh, in so many ways. And what I appreciated about the American company of cursed child. When I saw it, there were so many non-binary performers Mm -hmm. represented. Um, the story at the center of it. I know they made adjustments to the script after, um, reopening post pandemic because in the States, the show's only one part now. And, um, I mean, you cannot tell me that those two boys are not in love with one another. They you are cannot tell me. We hit the end of the first act and I turned to the, the sweet couple next to me and I was just like, you cannot tell me that those two boys are not about to I make was, out at the end of the show. I play. literally, I turned to my friends at the end of the show and I was like, I am so mad right now. And they were like, why are you so mad? That was a great show. And I was like, they didn't kiss. They didn't kiss. <laughs> I know. Well, they added this line in there. Um, I, had a, I had a friend who worked on it and they added this line that was like, um, oh, um, Albus is the most, or Scorpius is the most important person in my life. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. that wasn't in the original. Yeah. It is so. <laughs> So gay. Yeah, and they cut that little uh, that little relationship he had with that one girl. Yeah, um, it is. I forget her name. So gay. No, it is. Like it I is just love so it. Gay. I just love that. Like Harry Potter, mm-hmm. this thing that has now unfortunately become tainted. Yeah. I loved that this this new part of the story. Yeah. That you know she she contributed to the writing of it, and like you know what she got paid her money for it, but I I love that it it challenges what she created in a way literally that it feels accessible. Like, no, it's not all the way. It's which not, is, they're not committing completely to the which bit. Which is but. one reason I'm kind of interested to see this remake that, what is it? HBO is doing. Oh yeah. Where they're turning it into like a mini series type thing. Like they do yes. with everything, which a seems very soon, even though it's really not, it's like 20 years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're it just old. seems We're old very decrepit soon. ladies now. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to see how much say she has in this version of it and how much they get to dig into some of those things that were skimmed over the the first time through because the books weren't finished yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I mean, I don't say this about everyone because I do have my like celebrities that I refuse to support. Like Gal Gadot, do not ask me to see anything she is in. Bye. Partially because she's a terrible actress. <laughs> But I'm sorry, I just, I can't, with her politics, they don't overshadow, her acting does not overshadow her politics for yeah, me. Yeah, I'll give you that. So there there are people, Jeffree Star, can't fuck with them. Bye. Like, there, there are people like that. J.K. Rowling, the thing is, she made the bulk of her money before coming out as a turf. Okay, you've got a point there, I guess. So the money's already been spent. It's already yeah. there. At this point, she isn't the one making the bulk of the money from any of the stuff. Like yeah, the brand I'm, has changed the brand, so dramatically. The, the the CEOs are making the money. She's just there. She's like the president of the company. She's not she's not making any decisions. She's not making the bulk of the money. 
Um, and they cut like her when from the, that reunion special. They cut her from the reunion special. They, like, when the video game came out, I doubt she had any say in the making of that because she's not a video game person. Oh, God, no. And that, that one video game... Um, the, there's one on the phone, I think now. Yeah, like on your on your, on your iPad. And it's or your like phone. sure she probably makes like a percent of the proceeds. Yeah, but at this point, by picketing that stuff, you're instead hurting the developers. You're hurting the actors. You're hurting that. And I think that's what we're learning with the whole SAG-AFTRA WGA yeah. strike now is how honestly. Th- this is hurting my argument for J.K. Rowling, but um, how little the people that are involved in what they're making are making from it. It's really the companies that are making the money. She is just sitting on the original billion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, that's it. That That's it in so many ways. And, you know, support the writers and support SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to go on for And everyone else while. who's striking. UPS is apparently about to start striking. Wow. Um, the health workers union is about to start striking. I mean, it's about um, time. Like there are rumblings been in, this... in the teachers unions that they want to start Ooh. striking. And I'm just like, everyone just strike at once. That's what a revolution is. <laughs> no, truly. Like we're in this, we've been in this kind of economic situation since uh, the outbreak of COVID-19. And yeah. it's about time for another major labor movement in, in the Absolutely. history of the States. I mean, we forget history. It immediately repeats itself and we've forgotten. Well, and I know the the stage unions are very different and the the um the kickback that the actors get and the actors are paid but they're still not paid well no, <laughs> no. like i remember years ago um interviewing Deontay on this podcast, Deontay L. Warren, and he even talked about how he had to live in Jersey and how he had to work several jobs at the same time as being an understudy on Broadway because it doesn't pay very well. So I'm very curious to see how long it takes SAG-AFTRA to be striking for the stage guilds to start being like, well, maybe we need to do this too. Yeah. And I mean, Actors Equity voted to approve a strike a couple months ago for the touring contracts. So there was a conversation that was had with the Broadway League. Um, the touring contract was expiring and um, with uh, the... Uh, government overturning Roe v. Wade and a couple other things, it created some new unique challenges well, for traveling needs. tours. Yeah. Uh, traveling tours and traveling artists. And, um, you know, access to healthcare mm-hmm. and, of course, inflation is out of control and so the per diem hadn't changed and the base hadn't changed and, and housing conversations hadn't changed and yeah. they were actually able to come to a tentative agreement and um, so there is a contract in place for the next couple years. Um so they did avoid a strike there. But I mean, today, as of the recording of this, IOTC was uh, also threatening to strike, which is yeah. the stage hands um, and uh, like the makeup artists and the deck mm-hmm. hands and the hair, uh, hair and makeup on both they film get, sets and stage. They get a pittance for what they do. Oh, yeah. And, and they the work shows way harder than any of us. Nothing without without makeup and hair and without costumes. Oh no, we're standing on their shoulders. Like they, the only reason anything that you, any of these iconic moments you remember and Mm -hmm. any of these amazing theatrical pieces exist is because of IATSE and these crews. And so they did come to an agreement with um, the Broadway league and with Disney theatrical um, today, it appears, but you know, It'd All be very these interesting unions, to see yes, every this labor single movement. entertainers union go on strike at the same time would be very fascinating. Oh yeah, especially as we're like still rebuilding from the decimation of. COVID. And I'm, I mean, I'm including. I know 
I, I'm including sports in that because I, I yeah. think sports are entertainers too. Absolutely. And as many millions as they get per year. Uh, and don't ever say that I said this to anyone. <laughs> um, On the podcast. <laughs> don't tell anyone I don't said tell. this. They're not compensated correctly for what they do. Oh, we're talking no. about people who are literally killing themselves on a field every single day, literal gladiator shit, who are getting fourteen million a year, sure, but that's not your life is not worth that, and that's why we see so many, so many sports players, specifically football, who have had like twenty concussions in a career, all of a sudden turning into monsters because they're not able to get correct care. Yeah, they're, they're not, not taken care of. Yeah. So I absolutely lump them in with other forms of entertainment because they are a form of entertainment. And I think all entertainers should show the world how important they are. Well, yeah. And, you know, we were talking about this on tour with Superstar. Um, You know, what what we get paid for is to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not... I am I am not just paid for the 90 minutes I'm on stage. Yeah. I'm also paid to get sleep, to exercise, to eat well, mm-hmm. um, to do press. I mean, there's yeah. so much more. And if we're talking about football players, I mean, gosh, same thing. Their, their job has little to do with what actually happens during the two hours that they're on the yeah. field. Their job is the training, the press junkets, the merchandise, the never seeing their family, the never seeing their family, the constant traveling. Yep. Like that is what you, that's what we're really getting paid yep. for. And the product I mean, is same different. thing as someone with an opera background, same thing with opera. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, an art form that they have done studies on that have shown that you burn more calories in the course of singing the lead in an opera than you do on a football field as a football player during a game. Period. It is... Performing is strenuous. It's stressful. It's hard on the body. It's hard on the mind. Like, I'm sorry, all actors should have required therapy because you're constantly digging up your own Speak emotions whether or not Speak you want it. to. Like, they happen, and it that's how you emote. That's how you create visceral um, uh, feelings from the audience. Like, that's how you get an audience to truly interact with you is by cutting yourself open night after night after night It's the best job in the world, and it, it demands something of you, and it's taxing. And all of them should have, all of us should have therapy. Yes. <laughs> and it should just be a given. Yes. Yes. Should workman's comp. Given. Workman's comp. Absolutely. Yeah. Workman's comp, my therapy. As, <laughs> as Put someone, that on a t-shirt. That's a good one. Workman's comp, my therapy. father is a that. workman's comp judge. Uh, I fully agree. That, that, put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm telling you, put it on a t-shirt. I love that. What a treat. Right. We are a sparkling water house. We've been we taking are. breaks to drink sparkling yes. water all day. I've been, I've been trying desperately to, um, to burp off mic, but if you catch a burp, I'm sorry. It, well, it look, happens. we're sparkling water house. We're staying hydrated um, <laughs> with a little bit of flavor too. And a little bit of bubbles. And a little bit of bubbles. Bubbles. I recently realized that my obsession with pop, and yes, I call it pop because I'm from Seattle. You're bizarre for that one. I don't call it I don't, soda. I don't even call it pop. <laughs> okay. My mom grew up in Michigan. It's probably from her. Okay. Yeah. I'll it's give you that. It's a very Midwest I'll thing. give you that. Um, but my obsession with pop is the the bubbles it's not the sugar yeah um and i mean i love sugar obviously it is one <laughs> of one of the great loves of my life um but in my like 
tried to be a little better to myself and tried to let my body find some stasis, I uh, am trying to cut down on sugar. And I've been like going through bottles of sparkling water. Yeah. So many, like three or four a day, just because I'm just like, I could drink so many bubbles and it's not hurting me. And nothing's going to happen to me. And it's water. And it's hydrating. I've been peeing so much. I love that. Great. (laughs) You got to pee clear. Absolutely. I mean, just slightly less than clear. It should, it should be like very, very pale yellow. Well, that's what they made. Um, so they made liquid IV for. It's got electrolytes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, this is not a sponsored post, but like liquid IV is what got me through touring for 18 months. That makes sense. Yeah. Because I went straight from working on Blippi straight into Superstar. No break. I worked for 18 months, all like traveling. And I'm telling you, liquid IV, electrolytes are your best friend. Like that's the way, that's the way to do it with the traveling. And be careful with Gatorade because Gatorade is more than just your electrolytes. There's a lot of extra Yeah, there's 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 a lot of sugar. Yeah. I really, liquid IV was great. And, um, uh, uh, like, N- not Pedialyte, but there's another one. Uh, Electrolit or something is the something brand. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good like emergency one. I'll never really forget what I learned. What are electrolytes were? Mm-hmm. And like, because I remember hearing the word my entire life, and I finally this was in grad school. I was like, okay, I'm tired of not knowing what this shit is. I'm tired of being one of those people in idiocracy who's just like Gatorade. It's the things plants love. Um, <laughs> And so I finally looked up electrolytes, like learning that it's just the chemicals that we take in that allow electricity to be conducted correctly around our body is so fucking freaky. (laughs) The human body is the greatest mystery. So it's crazy. Yeah. We're literally electrical beings. Yeah. And yet we love water and we're mostly water. Water and electricity. It's truly the greatest paradox. It's great. I love that. That's another one to put on the t-shirt. Like we are electrical beings made up of water. We're, you're going to have a great. We are toasters in the bathtub. We are toasters in the bathtub. We are Willow Pill toasters in the bathtub. You're no going to have wonder. a whole new merch line after no this podcast No wonder our bodies episode. are so crazy. No wonder. Oh my God. I'm howling. Have you seen anything on Broadway this season? Um, I, so I'm poor. We're, um, but also, I'm also a workaholic, so I don't give myself time to really go see much. Um, the last show I saw on Broadway was, I'm trying to remember which came first. So I saw, post-pandemic, I've only seen two things. Um, both had Sarah Bareilles in them. <laughs> oh my god, did you see Waitress? I saw Waitress and into the woods. when it reopened and Into the Woods. There we go. Opening night at City Center. Oh, at City Center. Opening night, which was the night she forgot her words and they had to restart Moments in the Woods. Okay, that's hilarious because when I saw it on Broadway, Patina <sighs> and Philippa both forgot their words. I just, it made me so happy because I have such a phobia of forgetting my words. On oh, no, stage. they're humans. And they're just to people. See Sarah Bareilles, one of the greatest performers of, of this generation, of this generation on stage. Start singing the wrong verse in Moments in the Woods and then stopping, literally dropping character on stage, on a stage she was being very judged on uh, and being like, that was the wrong verse. Give me a second. Turned around, went to the conductor, looked at the score, and then the conductor just started the orchestra up again. And And should. I love it. I love it. It did wonders for my self-esteem. Yeah. They're they're (laughs) just people like us. Like, I, I, yeah. 
that's that's so fabulous. Mm-hmm. I love her. That performance of the Baker's Wife really was very magical. Did you see it at City Center? No, I was still um, out of town. I mm. was, I think I was in London when it was at City Center, but I did get to see it because uh, I didn't on Broadway see, the same I day. didn't see the Broadway cast. Um, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't because I really would have loved to see Patina Miller and I would have loved to see, um, uh, uh, shoot, who was it who played the Baker? Oh, Brian Darcy James. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love him. He's the king. Not only was he Shrek, he was also in Titanic. Yeah. Which is my favorite show of all time. Titanic. D- we'll get into Work. that later. Um, I know it's a very hard time to be a Titanic enthusiast. Oh my god! Um, but uh, I will say I was nervous going into the city center production because Neil Patrick Harris was playing the baker, right. and I was like, that type doesn't feel right. Like I'm not a big fan of his Bobby and Company, mm. and like he just is so kind of like larger than life in everything he does, which works a lot of the time. Um, like his Count Olaf. Brilliant. Oh, um, love Best that. performance I've ever seen in my life. Um, but I was so nervous seeing him as the baker because the baker is just a character that I love so, so much and I've always seen myself in, mm. which is one reason I never want to play that role. Too personal. Um, but he found moments in that show that I have never noticed before. And it was truly one of the most nuanced baker's performances I have ever seen. And I wish everyone in the world had seen it because it was just so good. And his chemistry with Sarah Bareilles was just off the charts. I'm so jealous you got to see Heather Headley. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) I mean, that performance in Color Purple was church. I was religious. We'll never forgive them for not using the City Center cast for the broad for the cast recording. The cast recording is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But Heather Headley's Last Midnight... Oh, my God, I know. I'm so jealous. ...is something I will never be able to hear again. And my heart breaks every time I think about that because it was so fucking good. I mean, I just love City Center. I love what they're doing over there, create, like recreating these old classics. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could have seen Dear World. That looked amazing. Oh, yeah. And um, they just did Piazza, Light in the Piazza, yep. which is one of my favorite musical theater scores. It's so interesting and so beautiful. And it's like simultaneously nostalgic and they're very groundbreaking. Movie, right? I, they've been talking about it. They've been talking about trying like, to do it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, God, gay Twitter erupted when Ruthie Ann Miles did that iconic turnaround at the end of the curtain call. Did you see this video? No. Oh my God. You have to go watch this video. So they did this wonderful, magical thing with the curtain call where um, after they were finished, they kind of continued to blur the lines of like what was the story and what wasn't. Okay. Um, I didn't see the whole production, so I can't speak too much to it, but um, you know, Ruthie's had her own tragedies and um, her story is like so heartbreaking and incredible. And there's this magical moment that she had where the ensemble left the stage and then the supporting characters left the stage and then the two lovebirds left the stage and she was left alone at the end of this curtain call and she turned and she walked upstage into the set. She stopped. She turned around, took one more look at the audience. The place went ballistic. And then she just turned and left. When I tell you, it is the most magical thing what i would have given to be in that room with all those gay men just losing their minds (gasps) no like it was it you got to look up this video it was so 
breathtaking. Like, I need to see that show at some point in my life. I've, I've heard bits and pieces of the score, but it's one of those shows that I don't want to listen to until I've seen it. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm going to hate it if I just hear the songs from it. It's really, you it's know? a very interesting story. And I just real I just found out that it's based on a movie from 1962 yeah. with Olivia de Havilland in it. Yes. I'm sorry. I should have known that. You should have known that. You should have known <laughs> I that. I love Olivia de Havilland. Well, we do have to go back to talk about Titanic because we have to talk about <laughs> Titanic. Um, okay. So, okay. Because I'm obsessed with Titanic. So, I'm not so obsessed with modern Titanic obsession. Okay, That's I'll give why you that. it's tough for me. Is So, I was one of those kids that... And I say this with all of the respect and love in my heart. I am most likely mildly autistic. Uh, I grew up with a mother who was a special ed teacher. So that was very helpful. Um, But one of my... I had two obsessions growing up. I mean, as a little kid, I was obsessed with dinosaurs. But what little kid isn't obsessed with dinosaurs? It still boggles my mind that they existed. Um, but once I was like cognizant of, of existence and reality, I had two obsessions that I still could talk anyone's ear off about at any point in any day. One of them is, uh, uh, the Titanic. Point blank period. Point blank period. The Titanic. Uh, and the other is dragons, but we don't need to get into dragons right now. Okay, work. (laughs) But to the Titanic, not the same, the but uh, very different things. But I see, I can like see the correlation, like grand, giant, like yes. extreme. But the Titanic, yeah. I, I think I was obsessed with it as a kid because I didn't know how to express this need for like the Edwardian era and like the the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, of the pageantry. Era. Exactly, and I think. So I I funneled that into being obsessed with a specific moment in that era, mm-hmm. in that like twenty year era, um, but to the point where like I have I still have like twenty books on the subject. I have the um, transcripts from the court uh, proceedings that happened after it sank. Work. Um, I have the recipe book for the last meals on the Titanic. Um, yeah, I. Oh, you're committed. I'm committed. Wow. And I didn't even see the movie until I was in college. So like modern Titanic obsession is a completely different thing to me. Like I watched it in college and it was like the Titanic sank wrong in this movie. Like I was that kid. Well, didn't that famous astrophysicist be like, it's not even the right night sky. Yep. (laughs) I was like, I'm screaming. I'm like, to be crazy. (laughs) To be fair, when it was made, the Titanic in the movie sank in the way that they thought it sank. We okay. just know more now. Great. Thanks to James Cameron and his many trips down there and sending probes down. And yeah, but I don't think we need to be going shit. down there anymore. I mean... Uh, we should we should let it hang. So, yes and no. Um, about two months before the whole <laughs> the Titan thing. The submersible. Which I have mixed feelings on. Um, it's like people lost family members. It's really terrible. The teenage son didn't want to go and was forced to go. So that's really, really sad. Um, but also they knew better and they shouldn't have gone in that. Yeah. The sociology of it is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, especially when we have machines that are so perfectly equipped for that. Yeah. And one of the people on that submersible literally held the world record for the longest and deepest trip in a submersible of anyone. And had like 
gone miles and miles in the Mariana Trench in a submersible. Wow. So like he, they should have known better. Yeah. Which is why people were creating conspiracies around it. But the, I think it was just hubris, just pure hubris. Um, but a, a couple months before that happened, the, the um, camera submersible that they had sent down to try and find that, the Titan mm. um, had actually already gone down. And it spent several days down there 3D mapping the entire uh, ship inside oh, wow. and out. They've only released the outside pictures um, because apparently the inside pictures show bodies still in the wreckage and wow. things like that. And they don't. Well, I guess it is so deep in the ocean that I, I guess it would be preserved. Yeah. Wow. They're, they're, Science. Their remains are preserved down there. And just to be respectful, they aren't releasing those yeah. pictures to the general public. But you can see perfectly rendered, like gorgeous, insane 3D renderings of of the sunken ship at this point. Wow. So I think now that we have that trips down should not be as necessary because we can study it as much as we want mm -hmm. via those. Um, the only reason that there's a part of my mind that's like people who are smart and are doing it correctly should still go down there is because it is falling apart and it will be gone in the next 100, 150 years yeah. because it's breaking down. That's just that's why they wanted to get the 3D renderings now that we can um, because we can't bring it up. It would fall apart. It would yeah. disintegrate. Um, the few things that we have brought up, they had to take months bringing them up to make sure that they didn't fall apart to acclimate them. Um, but I can see the like the historical need of someone who has the money, has the funds, like James Cameron, has a correct submersible um, to go down there and see this thing while it's still available to while us. While still intact, yeah. I get that. But I don't get tourism of it. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. That so shouldn't wild. be a thing. Um, I feel the same way about tourism of Pompeii. Like, as much as I want to go to Pompeii, there's part of me that's like, this just needs to stay a historical site. Because there are a lot of bodies there, and we yeah. should maybe be maybe respectful. Maybe we can like be respectful shit. and just like let them rest. Yeah. Wow. I also feel the same way about mummies, but mummies. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I don't have like, a lot of I don't have a lot of knowledge on that one. I I was scrolling through Facebook earlier, and um, there was just an image of of King Tut's mom's mummy that came up, and I'm just like, How, what, we, what is this doing on Facebook? Do we need to just photograph? dead people and put them everywhere like i'm pretty sure they were put in the ground for a reason and so they bizarre. like why don't we just leave them why don't we leave where them? they were supposed they'll be okay. to be we don't need to see all of yeah, that they'll be okay that's for them that's for them i mean my whole twitter feed and facebook feed and instagram feed is just red white and we're all blue right now so and heartstopper so like <laughs> that's I, fair. i'm living in a different world i'm very excited for heartstopper oh i just two. I'm obsessed with Heartstopper. What were, what were your thoughts on on um, season one? Well, the thing that's so magical about Heartstopper is I think there's a reason why our generation reacted so strongly and emotionally to it and not mm. just the younger kids mm -hmm. because we didn't have television programs like that. Yeah. The cast talks a lot about it in the interviews. Like Heartstopper is a, is a version of the world that's viewed through some rose-tinted spectacles a little bit. A little bit. But it really is. A, it's a very simple coming of age love story mm -hmm. 
coming out isn't even really the primary narrative. No. It's a love story. Yeah. It's a very simple love story. And it's so joyful and it comes with its challenges mm-hmm. and it's so accessible. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was really emotionally affected by it. Yeah. I came out really young. I came out when I was 13 and I'm 25 now. So like I've the been out for a did? long no, time. No, no. no, me, me, oh, yeah, me, yeah, yeah. me, the gay person sitting here on this side of the microphone. <laughs> um, like I came out when I was 13 and you know, which is a, a right, a, a little younger than the characters in Heartstopper. Yeah. But Still, like Joe Locke's character Charlie is out around that time, and mm-hmm. we're we're over a decade past when I came out, and the world has changed yeah. so dramatically. And what I loved about Heartstopper and what made me so emotional about it is, I'm like, wow, we didn't have this. I can yeah. remember the shows that were out and the movies that were out when I was a young gay person, scrounging for anything. I mean, half of them weren't even in English because mm-hmm. we weren't making movies in English speaking countries yeah. that were positively representing queer people and gay people and trans people if we were even making them at all yeah if if we were making them it I was mean, either had... over camped or they died at the end yep or they were like evil characters or they were villains yeah, yeah. and it yeah heartstopper is really i beautiful truly and think that's one reason why a lot of people in my generation because i feel like you're younger than me just a little just a little by like nine years <laughs> <laughs> um People in my generation, I feel like that's why we had to struggle so much and still do with the like, why am I falling in love with straight men so much? Why can't I fall in love with a gay man? And I think it's because we were so trained in movies to find any tiny sliver of homoeroticism. Yeah. That it was marketed. It was marketed. It was like like a brand that was created. So in our minds, we were like, okay, it's literally any man. And we just need to find that little bit of like that little glint of something and we can have it. Um, And it's, it's very interesting now watching things and being like, Oh, they don't have to deal with that. They don't, they don't have to deal with it. I had a very visceral reaction to Heartstopper. Yeah. Because I watched it all, I binge watched it in maybe two days, Mm -hmm. and I remember the whole time I was just sitting there, I was just like, okay, when's the shoe going to drop? Like, when's when's the bad part? Had you read the books? Mm -mm. Uh, No, not at all. Um, I was like, but but it seemed gay, and it seemed everyone was talking about it, so I was like, I should watch it so I know what everyone's talking about. Hello. And the whole time I was just expecting something really bad to happen. And nothing really bad ever happened. And then we got to the end and I was like, well, clearly his mom's going to reject him. And then she didn't. And then I was just like. There is a world out there for us and our community that's like this. And it made me mad. I literally was walking around viscerally angry for the next week, like shaking, like I would go to bed and then wake up and be angry about it again. And I finally had to stop and be like, why am I mad? Like, why do I need younger people to go through the anger that I went through? Why can't I enjoy that this next generation is allowed to enjoy their lives? It was such a different time. And I I talk all the time about the idea of, like, I love to leave a place better than I found it. Mm -hmm. And, And... I say all the time, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty feminine person and, mm-hmm. and outgoing and loud and androgynous. And what I am proudest of is that all of this work that we're doing for the community at large is not just for the people who are coming of age now. It's also for the people 
who were before us. Yeah. We're standing on the shoulders of a generation of queer people who were who were basically killed off by government inaction. Yeah. And I think all the time about how the world would be different had the AIDS crisis been dealt with more effectively and more rapidly, how art would be different, how society would be different. I yeah. mean, there we're talking about things sociologically now, especially in New York City, in just the culture of queerness mm-hmm. and like the social culture of queerness that that was the norm in the 70s. Yeah. This isn't new. No. And yet it feels new because that joy and that information has been hidden from us yeah. in so many ways. And so a piece, living in a world where a piece like Heartstopper exists and thrives is everything we've worked for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to regret and it's easy to wish that things had been different. But in so many ways, I I try all the time to just remember where I came from Mm -hmm. and look at what is different now. And we have so many new challenges. I mean, the war against trans people, especially trans people of color, is insane to me. And it it the way in which it it doesn't it doesn't feel passive. Yeah, it feels incredibly aggressive. Yeah, this like the spewing of this hatred and this vitriol and this rhetoric, it's really dangerous. And, you know, it's our responsibility as a community to continue to uplift and to continue to force change. Yeah. And we, we can't be passive. We cannot be passive anymore. And so shows like Heartstopper and films like Red, White and Royal Blue and the Barbie movie mm-hmm. and like so many things that are being created now, it's, it's, that's a world I want to live in. Yeah. That's a world I want to live in. I want to, I, so in reaction to my reaction to Heartstopper, I was like, okay, what do I do? How do I find a focus for this? Yeah. Um, I read a book called the velvet rage, which is great book. If if y'all haven't read Read it, read it. It is so incredibly helpful. Um, basically just kind of talks you through why you're angry and how to not be angry anymore and how to use that focus on something else. Um, Especially the like, t- it's the 10th anniversary edition I, is the one that I have that has an extra chapter at the back and some oh, I gotta get that one. Helps you kind of work through some shit, which is very, very, very helpful. Great book. Um, loved, I loved The Velvet Rage. And I truly think that's what, that's what we saw for a long time when like letters were being added to LGBTQIA+. Um, and we saw all these older gays kind of arguing against that and being mad about that it's the same thing of just like well i didn't have this ability to describe myself to people I didn't so have this why language. should you yeah um and it's it's hard to let that go because in every part of our lives we just want people to experience things the way that we experience them so that we can relate to those people when they don't have to and there there are new ways to relate to to other people and relate to the world around you um and as as I move forward in my my education, my academic career, that's something that I'm really focusing on. Um, because when you start looking at history, I want to be a history professor. And when you start focusing on history, you start realizing that words like homosexuality didn't even exist until the 1950s. Hello. That word did not exist until like 1952, I believe. We didn't even use gay until... Until very recently. Yeah. The word lesbian was actually first, and that was in the 1890s, yeah. which I find very interesting that 
men labeled women who were into women first. But that's well, besides the point. Well, men also used to wear, wear heels first. So look at where that got us. We, I mean, every single type of animal on the planet, the men are the more extravagantly dressed ones. Hello. Except for humans. And apparently men are supposed to be boring. God. Um, but it's it's fascinating as you start looking through history and start realizing kind of all of these lines in the sand that have been drawn recently literally in the last 70 years yeah when before that like i was listening to a podcast i literally talked about this in the last podcast i recorded so i'm sorry if if you're listening to these in order um but recently learned this is how I'm, I'm, like mind-blowing this was to me um it was a podcast about Oscar Wilde and Walt Whitman yep. and them meeting and how people labeled both of them as gay for so many years. And because it was that was the word we had for it, when in reality, they were just queer men who loved who they loved, slept with who they felt like sleeping with, were just themselves. Yeah. Um, and like the dandy that we think of with Oscar Wilde was really literally a costume he put on in one photo shoot. Like the, 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 the iconic image, think yeah. of the iconic image of Oscar Wilde with like the long flowing hair and the like ascot and the like fun the lapels, garments yeah. and the big lapels and the like, um, uh, uh, I almost said short pants. Why can't I think of what they're called? Well, the they're like, knickers. Um, yes. The knickerbockers. Yes. Those like crazy pleated. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was a costume he put on because he thought it would be funny in a photo shoot. That's not it. what he looked like. Icon. <laughs> Icon. Icon. Creating, but creating but we, iconic moments. But we glommed onto that. We like attached ourselves yeah. to that image of him because we were like, he's gay. This is what he looked like. Well, it's something we still do. When in reality, he was this whole human yeah. who just was who he was unapologetically and there wasn't a label for that there still kind of isn't and it, they didn't care back then yeah. sure the law cared because the law was stupid and that's a whole different podcast episode um but the general population did not care what people's sex lives were it just was not a non-issue yeah like if you were going to go have sex with a man and you were a man you just didn't tell anyone and they didn't care enough to ask. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, hush, hush. We can't talk about how he's the gay one. It I mean, was, go back and look at the Greeks. Look at their art. Yeah, like, it's just, oh, yeah, he's going off to fuck some dude. Cool. Whatever. Great. Good for him. Doesn't affect me. No. <laughs> and It's this. I think truly it's social media has made it so that we think that we a are allowed to and B should have opinions on every single person's life. And how they live it. Yeah. It's, it's everything that exists. Everything that exists now has always existed. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, none of this is new. We just have new language. Yeah. And which is why I think it's scary for a lot of people, because yeah. once you start labeling something and once you start being able to categorize things, mm -hmm. it then opens up this whole world of, well, people can feel superior because they don't have a certain label or people are allowed to put you in this box because you have this label instead of looking at labels as a way to describe yourself, it's become, Oh, this is a descriptor we can put on you to make us feel more comfortable or uncomfortable. Yeah, labels are supposed to be empowering. Yeah. And, and unfortunately at times because of the societal demand to categorize, which is a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, it can it can get really complicated. I I was watching this great interview, um, because there's been a lot of 
uh, conversation in the lexicon just about um, uh, they them pronouns mm. as a as being equivalent with the entirety of the non-binary experience, mm. which it's not. We yeah. know this. We know that gender exists on a spectrum uh, just like sexuality does. And we know that there's a huge breadth of, of identities and of labels and of empowering experiences. Mm-hmm. But in the lexicon of like culture and society, utilizing and specifically uh, uh, non uh, just cis people relying on they them pronouns to com- have a full understanding of the experience of queer people and non-binary people has gotten complicated and it has turned into this idea of like a third gender which it never mm. was meant to yeah and so there's this fabulous fabulous interview i'll have to find it and send it to you where um this individual is asked what their pronouns are and they say well for the purpose of the question you're asking me my pronouns are they them but my pronouns are not for me. They're for you. Yeah. They're like, this is to help you. And it's not the most, uh, it's not the most all encompassing of my experience. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I'm curious to see how language, as we've been talking about, continues Truly. to evolve. Well, because when you think of ancient languages, ancient languages always had a third option. Correct. So when you go back and study Latin, ancient Latin, not ecumenical Latin, but ancient Latin, there's always a, when you have an adjective, you always learn a masculine, a feminine, and a, a we called it neuter, but like a, like gender, a genderless. genderless option. Um because even the ancients realized that there were things outside of this binary. Um, I believe Greek has a very similar thing. Um, Sanskrit languages have a similar thing. Um, a lot of indigenous languages have an even wider breadth of possibilities. Um, and it's not until you get into like when the church took over language that all of a sudden all these extra things stopped going and started going away and you only had the two options. And that's why we have like, Oh, that ship is a she or that chair is a he like it makes no sense yeah. whatsoever when there are multiple options here, Hello, <laughs> which uh, this is getting a little too deep maybe. And it's definitely something I'd love to explore. It's fascinating to me that a concept such as a creator an all-knowing, all-present, all-everything creator should be reduced to a single pronoun. Mm, it's very fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and clearly speaks to the society in which the religion came up. Yeah. Um, versus truly people thinking about the concept and being like, well, if this is the case and we are all in the image, quote-unquote, of this creator, then therefore there must be it must be a much broader term that we could use. Um, Yeah. It's, it's yeah. That's a great (laughs) question though. Like that's a great, if we are all in the image and in the eye, why wouldn't, and I mean, as someone who studied apologetics and studied theology and went to a Christian school and was a, a leader at a Christian camp, like sure. There are the answers of like, well, God was trying to explain himself to us in terms of how fathers are supposed to act with their, with their children. And I'm like, well, that, well, that's too small for the, what the concept is too small for the concept. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, and if I I'm feel in like, elementary school, sure, I can I can grasp that. Yeah. So and that just takes a whole do- another rabbit hole down something that I've started realizing recently is the especially in America, the education system is built in such a way to teach us just enough mm. and not more than that. So we're supposed to be taught just enough that we can do what we're told, but not enough that we start to ask questions. Wow. Yeah. So when you think about things like science, we're taught just enough biology that we can get through and feel like we're smart, but not enough that we actually understand how things work. So then when you have scientists saying this is how things actually work, you now have an entire group of like five generations saying, well, that's not what I was taught in biology. So clearly you're wrong instead of being taught enough science to know that science is constantly changing and you're constantly having to ask new questions and, and things are building on each other and that there's more than what we were taught in school. We our our minds have been stunted in the West to be, this is uh, everything you ever will need to know about this. Yeah. And wow. Fascinating. Now we are reaping the benefits of that. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? <sighs> it's so great. It's so great. So great. We went from Andrew Lloyd Webber all the way to apologetics. <laughs> that is just that. It's the power of uh, two uh, queer old ladies <laughs> with um, too much information in their brains. Just and, uh, and too much frustration having to live in the Western world. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my god, this was I so really fun. Appreciate it. It's so good to see you. It's so good to catch up. It's so right? good to uh, chat again. Um, where can people find you online? So you can follow me or in person. Uh, if you want to see me in person, uh, I'm in New York city. I am occasionally doing pop-up gigs. Um, and, uh, you know, come hang. I'm a fun, I'm a fun gal. Um, you can find me online at Eric Schleck. Uh, my name is spelled E R I C H S C H L E C K. Very German. Um, uh, but I do pay for my blonde hair. I am a bottle blonde. It's not real. <laughs> Don't tell anyone that. Um, uh, you can follow me at Eric Schleck on Instagram, uh, on Twitter. I still have Twitter. I know. I'm waiting. Uh-oh. I just want to see what happens. I just, I, I'm invested in seeing what happens. Um, I and feel if, like it's going to take a little while, but Twitter is going to turn into what Tumblr used to be. Yes. And Threads is going to be what t- Twitter started as. I think you're right. And you yeah. can also find me on TikTok. I'm new to TikTok. I'm figuring Ooh. it out. Um, I'm at Ricky Schleck on Ooh. TikTok. R-I-C-K-Y. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you once again for being on the podcast, and we will see you all later. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Thank you for listening to Yeah, But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Yeah, but.